0: And the word of the Lord says this, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he'd offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. Good morning, it's good to be here in God's house with God's people, amen. Have a few um, announcements this morning as we get started, just trying to decide what order to go in uh, with those announcements. I'll start with these and then head to uh, the ones on the the podium this morning. Uh, Just as a reminder, on uh, uh, July the 24th, uh, that's in two Sundays. We will have homecoming, no Sunday school that day. Uh, homecoming is where we come and celebrate all that God's done in the history of this church. Uh, God, uh, I was telling the deacons this morning, uh, reading back through this week, this weekend, the history of this ch- church and just seeing God's sovereign hand on us and his provision for us. We do have a lot to celebrate with God's faithfulness uh, to this church. And so we'll come and celebrate uh, not, not what we've done, but what God's done For us and in us and then through us and so let's come together uh, for that the church will provide the meat y'all just provide the sides Um, I'm taking I'll give out some suggestions if if y'all need any Um, Miss Maryland's good good bars um, that's always a staple for me Uh, don't y'all touch them before I touch them first seriously don't do that Uh, uh, we will have fresh produce from our own garden this year uh, that, that will uh, be on display as well. Also, if y'all would be praying for Joshua and his family, that's our new uh, youth minister, they will be here this coming week uh, looking for a home, and then they will all join us. His entire family will join us for homecoming on the 24th, and then he'll be moving here, and then the plan as of right now is that his uh, family will join him in December. So just be praying for them that they find a house and that transition, Uh, goes, well, he sent me a text yesterday asking for prayer from the body to help him with that. So please begin to pray for him. Uh, Two last announcements, then we'll get into God's holy word. Uh, A celebration of life for Miss Twyla. Uh, That's um, Rita and Rob's uh, mother will be next Saturday, uh, July the 16th from 11 to 1. At New Heart Christian Church. That's in Lebanon. If you need the directions or the address, I believe that's in uh, the bulletin this morning. That's a potluck uh, lunch. Uh, it's informal, so please do not dress in a shirt and tie. Come in shorts uh, and uh, a shirt, um, a formal wear. That will not be a formal service. That's just going to be a gathering of their family with uh, the, the church she was attending, uh, just that they can come together. And pray, would you add anything to that, Rob? If you need any more uh, information on that, see me, see Rob. We'd love to give you more information. Uh, One last announcement. This is from Tracy and her family uh, in light of the passing of her father uh, not too long ago. It says this, Dear church family, you will never know how much your kindness, prayers, texts, calls, and thoughts meant to our family during the loss of my dad. You provided for us in ways we didn't know we needed. From visitation night food from Miss Patty's class to the meal after the funeral from Miss Eleanor's class to Jerry and Jared's organizing and helping with all the arrangements. You will never know how much it all meant. The wind chimes were beautiful and your visits even more precious. Thank you again for everything and we love you all. Mike, Tracy, Jackson, and Robin and our family. Thank you for... Uh, being the church to them during their loss let us pray and then we'll jump into god's holy word this morning in these few moments as we quiet our hearts may you ask that god would do something in your hearts this morning God, we come and we choir ourselves in submission to the Holy Spirit this morning, and we ask that you, through the Holy Spirit, would do a work in our hearts, that would continue to transform us and make you, make us into your likeness, into the likeness of Jesus. So whether that's for those who are unsaved in the room, we pray first and foremost for them, that you would draw them to yourself. They would become like you and in you, in Jesus Christ. And for us, God, this morning who know you and trust you and have walked with you, we pray that you, through the Holy Spirit, would continue to make us more like Jesus. So you would continue to convict us of our sins. And as you convict us, we would live and act in repentance of that. And this morning, God, as we come to your Holy Word, we pray that it would be a place of encouragement to us, encouragement to our walk with you, our uh, walk with one another, and that we would all leave different than we came in. May we, as we look at your text, as James implores us, have a faith that works, a faith that is not dead, but is alive and active. So I pray that you would help us examine our hearts to see the faith that you desire for us and to see if we're living uh, up to that place that you've called us to. So lead us. Guide us as we submit to you this morning. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. We are here in James chapter 2. We'll finish James chapter 2 this morning and then we'll head into James chapter 3. The rest of the letter will be James really putting more action into what he's talking about. If you haven't been with us, the whole book of James is about this faith that works. It, it's, he's writing to the Jewish people who have wandered from uh, their their intimacy or their walk with God. And he's employing the Jewish people to come back and to examine their life. And he's going to do that through a series of exhortations and passionate desires for them to come back to Jesus. And so we will do that this morning. Uh, this morning we'll look at the second half of what it looks like Faith without works is dead. If you were here with us last week, we looked at that. That James is saying to us, we have to have faith, but our faith is going to demonstrate or, or be shown by the way we live out our lives. That James says, you cannot have this faith that has no works attached to it. Now, what James also says, it's not our works that saves us. He's going to say that again in this text, but our works reveal if we really have the faith that we say. That we have. And so it's not our works that saves us. That's what Catholics believe. That, that's what separates us, the Protestants, from Catholics. That Catholics say it's works. You have to do all these works to gain favor with God. And if you gain favor with God, then you have salvation with God. James and Paul says, no, no. It's through, our, through the work of God in our lives that saves us. But then your salvation has to lead you into action. So James is saying, take a test of your life. Is what you claim you have demonstrated by how you live out your life? And that's what James is going to say here again. And so this is the test. He says this in verse 20, as Jared read Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So he's asking this rhetorical question. James says, hey, you foolish man. If you really think that you can have faith that doesn't work, let me show you with these two people from the Old Testament that you cannot have a faith that's not accompanied by action. And then he gives us these two, if you will, case studies. Now in grad school, I did a lot of case studies. A case study was they would present a case to us, and then we'd sit down as the clinician, read through the case, and say, hey, what's, the, what's coming out of this case? And then we give our answer to that. And that's what James does. He gives these two case studies, Abraham and Rahab, the prostitute. Now, why would he choose these two people? Of all the people in all the Bible from the Old Testament, and there's a lot of Old Testament people, how come James would use these two people? I believe this, because these two people couldn't be more different. I mean, they were on the opposite ends of the spectrum. So Abraham was a man, Rahab a female. They were more, couldn't be more opposite in that way. Abraham was a Jew, the chosen people of God. Rahab the Gentile, not the chosen people of God. You had the patriarch. They believed, the Jewish people believed that Abraham, more than any other person in their lineage, was the godliest person. He was the patriarch of all the Jewish people. All the Jewish people point right back to Abraham. So he was the elite of the elite of the elite. So Abraham, the patriarch, Rahab, the prostitute. Now, prostitutes in that day, if he's the elite, where do you think a prostitute lands? Not right under the rung with, her, with him. I mean, she's not on the bottom of the ladder. She's under the ladder. The next one. Abraham, we know he was a righteous man, it tells us, in the Old Testament. He lived a righteous life before God. Rahab the prostitute was a sinful woman. She was labeled a prostitute. You don't get the label of a prostitute because you're righteous. Just saying. You get a label because you do things. So she's labeled by what and how she lived her life. So you can say she was, again, If here's righteousness. Where do you think prostitution lands? Down here. The last of this. In the Old Testament. Here in this text. It says that what about Abraham? He was a friend of God. He walked with God. They held hands. They were friends, like not acquaintances. They were intimately involved within our God with Abraham. We know this through the life of Rahab up until this moment in this text, in her story. If she was a prostitute, if she was a sinful woman, if she was a Gentile, then she would have been what? An enemy of God. So James takes these two just extreme examples from the Old Testament. This says this, let me show you what faith looks like when it's got active works with it. Now let me tell you this, we in the room are way more like Rahab than Abraham. And so when the readers would have come to this text and they would have began to read about Abraham, they would have said, I- I'm not that guy. Like, I don't know about you, but if you're going through that list, are you a patriarch? Are you a righteous person? Are you a friend of God? Do you walk closely with God? Does he pour his favor onto you? We would all say, ah, that's not me. If we look at ourselves, are we more of the prostitute, the sinner, the, the enemy of God? Yes. Yet we see God chose both of these people to do extraordinary things. If you go back to Matthew chapter 1, you'll find less than a handful of women in the genealogy of Jesus. You know who one of the people are in the genealogy of Jesus? Rahab, the prostitute. Why would she be in that lineage? It's directly tied to what James is saying, what we find in Genesis. Because she walked with god she had a faith that worked so to you and to me this morning do you and i have a faith that works now let's look at what james says here in chapter 2 after he says let me show you you foolish person that faith apart from works is useless let's look at the first case study abraham here's what it says and we're going to have this in your bibles we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 15 and then Genesis chapter 22 this morning to look at this case study. But he now says, Was not Abraham your father justified by what works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and that faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not faith alone. There's two, three times in this text, circle the word in your Bible, because this is where it all hinges. This is where all the the conflict of this text hinges on throughout history. There's one word, it's called justified. If you see that word in your Bible, circle it. Now, when you come to the the word and you see justified, our brains automatically go to acquittal. When we read that text, we think, man, his works justified him or acquitted him of his unrighteousness. And so, therefore, we would read the text thinking it's our works that must justify us or acquit us from our sinful behavior. But here's the deal. In the Greek, there's two forms of that word. They have, it's the same word in the Greek. They have two totally different understandings of the word. I will not tell you the Greek word because you'll think I'm spitting and uh, biting my tongue. But the word first is this justification first means acquittal. But the second form of that word, or the second meaning of that same word, would be this it's the proof or the validation. So when James writes, he has justification by his works. He is not saying he has acquittal by his works, but now we see his works as a way of validating what he says he has, or proof is in the pudding, as they say. So what James is saying, the proof in the pudding that he has faith is because of his works. It's his works that show the proof of his faith, not the acquittal of his sin. So that's key for us, because later on, the text is going to say in the same way, was Rahab not what justified in her works? So we can say already that Rahab was saved before the works of what she did in hiding the spies. But she now says, let me show you how I've been saved. She does this righteous thing that saves millions of lives. I'll get to that in the text. That's the key of this whole text. That word justified means proof, validation, or vindication of their faith. And so i would ask you this morning, what is the proof of your faith? How have you been justified? And how are you justifying your faith? What is the proof of your faith to a lost world? Now he says, now let's look at Abraham, your father. Let's go back to. Genesis chapter 15 this morning. Genesis chapter 15. This is the story of Abraham. This is before, way before Isaac ever comes on the scene. If you remember back in our studies through the book of
1: Genesis,
0: in this section, Abraham had just won a massive battle. He comes home after winning this massive battle. He's super discouraged because he's thinking to himself, I've got no lineage. I've just won this massive battle. But when I look behind me, I've got no children to give this to. Like if I die, if I were to have died in that battle, then nothing would move forward for my namesake. And so he's discouraged. He goes to God and talks to God about being discouraged. Now look, look at what happens after he talks to God in verse 6 of chapter 15. God brings him out. Chapter uh, 15, verse 5, excuse me. So He's talking to God. He says, who's going to be my heir in verse 4? And he says this, and he, God, brought him outside of his tent And said to him, look towards the heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. And here's his faith that's going to be activated in about 20 years. He says this, and he believed God. He, in that moment, believed that God would give him descendants that were as numerous as the stars. So he believed that to be true about God. And now he's gonna wait for years to come, but we see his faith was activated in that moment before anything happened. He was already a believer in that moment, and now we see some 20 years later, let's move on to chapter 22. So now God fulfills His promises to Abraham and Sarah and gives them a baby boy. Remember in between that moment of 15 to 22, Abraham doubted. That's so how he ended up sleeping with his maidservant, having uh, his other son, didn't believe God in that moment, and yet now there's this conviction, there's repentance in chapter 20, uh, 22, 21, God fulfills His promises that He made to chapter two, in chapter 15, Isaac is born. So now Isaac is on the scene. Isaac he has an older brother. He's with his parents, and then let's see what happens in chapter 22. It says this after these things. God tested Abraham. What was God testing? What He had promised him about His belief in chapter 15. God tested Abraham, said to Abraham, he said to him, here I am. He says, Abraham, Abraham replies, here I am. God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son of the promise, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Morah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains to which I will tell you. Now, I wouldn't do verse three. I'd go back to chapter 15 and be like, and hey, now you're telling me to sacrifice the promise. But he's testing Abraham's belief. And so it says, Abraham rose early in the morning. I, on the other hand, probably would have waited till lunchtime, just like hoping like God would change his mind. He believed him. He's like, all right, let's get up early and do what God told us to do. Let's take you and go sacrifice you. So Abraham gets up early in the morning. He saddles his donkey. He took two of his young servants with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the far place. Just pause there for a moment. He rises up early on one day. And for the next three days, he's walking with Isaac. This is not like, hey, a one, like, hey we'll get up in the morning and we'll get this thing over with. For the next three days, could you imagine that conversation on that pathway? And we're going to see some of that conversation play out with Isaac and Abraham. So there's this these moments. I'm sure they were full of tears, full of angst, full of anxiety for both Abraham and And his son. Well, finally, they arrive at their destination. They're trusting God along the way, even in the grief of what is about to happen. Verse five. Then Abraham said to the young men, those two servants that came with him, hey, you stay here with the donkey. And I and the boy, I and my son Isaac are going to go over there and we're going to worship. But look at the next few words. Is this. We're going to go over there and come again to you. Abraham's being tested about what he believed to be true about God in chapter 15. He'd heard three days earlier take your son and sacrifice him. And then, here in this moment, moments before he's going to sacrifice his son, he has a belief in God that says, I believe that God will hold to his promises. And he says to those two young men, we're going to return here. He's going to take his, act, his faith, put it into action. What is his faith? The faith is that God had made him a promise, and his faith says, I know who God is, and because of who God is, he's going to keep his promises. Even if he dies, he'll live, is basically what Abraham is saying. Not because of the action he's about to do, but because of the action that he believes that God is going to do. So I said, we're going to come back, laid it on Isaac, his son. He took in his hand the fire and the knife. Could you imagine, like, he's got a stick of fire in one hand, a knife in the other hand. Isaac is bound, sitting on this thing of wood, and he's about to kill his son. Could you imagine what's going through both of those two men's hearts and lives in that moment? Like that angst that Abraham had to be feeling like, okay, God, you, you promised me something. But what are you about to do? And Isaac, poor Isaac must have been thinking, man, this, is like, this man's done lost his mind. So in that moment, he takes the knife, takes the wood. They go up together. And Isaac said to his dad, my father. He said, here I am, boy. Here I am, son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb? For this burnt offering. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the land of the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together, and they came to the place which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order to bound Isaac and lay him on the on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out his knife or his hand, took out his knife to slay his son. I mean, and and we're like moments away. Moments away from what God had promised in chapter 15 to be over. And yet there's something in the heart of Abraham that's believing in his faith in God and the promises of God that says, okay, if God said it, God's going to do it. God's going to provide a different way. I'm not sure what that way is, but I'm going to trust God more than I'm going to trust myself. And right before he kills the boy, it says this. But then the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. And because you fear God, because you have faith and trust, in God, seeing that you will not withhold anything from me, not even your son, your only son from me. So he stops the murder or the sacrifice of his son. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and beheld. Behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place The Lord will provide and to this day on that mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So now we see back to James chapter two. The question is a rhetorical question. Was not Abraham your father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You got to remember chapter 15. You've got to remember chapter 22. Chapter 22, the promise is challenged, but God delivers in his promises. And something in the heart of Abraham believes in the promises of God because he has a faith that is actively working. And so I'd ask you this question, first and foremost, do you have a faith like that? Do you have an active faith being reminded of the promises of God, that God will fulfill his promises. You have to know this. My great fear for us is we do not know the promises of God. If we do not know the promises of God, we'll have no faith in the promises because if you have nothing to put your faith in, then you have no faith at all. So you first have to know the promises of God. And Abraham believed in the promises of God because he put his promises and put his own faith into the promises of God, it was counted to him as what? Righteousness. He says in verse 24, you see the person is what? Justified. Abraham is justified by his works. Or now we see the proof of his faith because he was willing to sacrifice his only son, because his son was not as important as the promises of God. Because he had a promise from God that says, I will make you a great nation. Now in our little pea brains, you take, the son of the sacrifice, uh, you take the son of the promise and sacrifice him, we would say there's no way that God could fulfill his promises. But Abraham took his little pea brain out of the way and put his big faith in a God way bigger than his pea brain. He said, okay, I'm going to trust God. My question to you this morning, my question to me this morning, is do we trust God that way? In the end, did I say that out loud? Stick to your notes, Todd. We got like a short in here? I don't know what happened. That was distracting. Let's go back to the text, sorry. Now he comes to the second woman. He's like, okay if you think that kind of faith is too big for you, you don't have that kind of faith, Abraham's outside of your league. Let me give you another example. He says in the same exact way, not kind of, not sort of, but the same kind of faith that that righteous, godly man Abraham had, Good prostitute, has that same kind of faith. We'll see in a moment what her faith is. In the same way, Was not Rahab, the prostitute, justified by her works when she received the messages and sent them out another way? Let's go to Joshua chapter 2. What are the works of Rahab? It says this, now... Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly as spies. Where was he spying out? He spy out the promised land that God had given to him. Remember that the, the, the Israelites had come out of bondage. Moses had led them near the promised land. They weren't allowed to go into the promised land. He puts Joshua and Moses' place to take his people into the promised land. Now they're going to spy out the promised land. So he sends these two people into this promised land to look at what God had given them. It says this in the rest of the text. Go at, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab. And they lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab and said to her, Bring these men out. For then had taken the two men and hid them in sections where that comes from. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and she said to the men, here's her faith. How is it that this woman, the prostitute, would hide these two godly men from a wicked king and she was a wicked woman? Makes no sense. But now we'll see her faith, what she believed to be true. She came up to those two men, and she said to those men, I know, or I believe, that what? Capital Lord, the God of the Israelites, the Lord has given you the land, and the fear of you has fallen upon all of us, and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you. When you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites. Who were beyond the Jordan. Who were devoted for destruction. And as soon as we heard of it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven and above and below the earth. Now then, please swear by to me by the Lord that I have dealt kindly with you. So also deal kindly with my house and give me a a sure sign that you will save me and my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all that belong deliver us from death what was the faith of this prostitute named rahab her belief was this we see it in the text the lord god almighty so somewhere in the story she had heard before these two spies ever showed up somewhere she had heard about this great god that had delivered great people, and that had saved these great people. And something in her heart believed that great God, and she had come to some place in her journey with God, a place of salvation. And in that place of salvation, she knew that it would be wicked for her to kill these two men or turn them over. And so she, in faith, acted upon what she believed that the Lord God had promised to give these people this land, and she wanted to be a part of what? The promise. And she acted in faith based on her belief of who God was. And in her belief in who God was, saved a nation. And fulfilled the promise that God had made all the way back to Moses. When Moses went to deliver the Israelites and he promised Moses that God would give these people a promised land. And it came through who? A prostitute. Because if those two men had gone into that city and Rahab not had the faith in God, she would have turned them over to the king and the king would have killed them and no message would have come back to Joshua about the promised land. But these two men, because of this woman's faith in God, escaped this wicked king, came back to to Joshua, gave report of the promised land, and then those people went and overtook the promised land. And that's where we get the rest. One page or two pages in your Bible over. Hebrews chapter 11. If you look at Hebrews chapter 11 you will see it says this as it starts. The writer of Hebrews says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The convictions of things not seen. What are those convictions? The promises of God. We cannot always see the promises of God. They're not always that clear to us. But our faith will make them clear because we trust in God, not the promises. Because when the promises are in jeopardy, we'll doubt who? God. But if we put our trust not in the promises, but in the God who made the promises, even when the promises don't seem like they're going to happen, we can be assured that God will stick to what? His promises. And that's what the rest of this text is going to say. He's going to now go through, the the writer of Hebrews is now going to go through man after man after woman after woman, talking about where they put their faith. Just a few of those. By faith, Abel offered this sacrifice to God. By faith, Enoch walked with God. It says this, by faith, Abraham obeyed God. Again, in verse 17, by faith, Abraham was tested. In faith, he offered his son, his one and only son, as a sacrifice. Later on, it says, by faith, Jacob dying, blessed the one son. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life. And if you know about Joseph, all that would have gone on in Joseph's life. In verse 22, by faith, Moses, on and on and on it goes. By faith, the people of God Cross the Red Sea. And then it comes down to where you and I will come into play. He goes on to talk about Samson. He goes on to talk about David. He goes on to talk about Samuel. But then it says this. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawed into. They were killed with the sword, and they went about in sheepskins. They were destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world did not worthy, wandering about in the desert, in the mountains, in the dens, in the caves of the earth. And all these, though condemned what? Through their faith. They did not receive what was promised, the promise of life, since God had provided something better for them apart they should be made perfect. Now, here's the deal with our faith in closing. Each of these men and women, our faith must lead to action. Here's one of the promises your faith that's led to action is going to be extremely costly, you'll have to risk a lot. Abraham was willing to risk his son. Rahab was willing to risk her life. If she had been caught with those two men in hiding, she would have died. The king would have killed her on the spot. Noah, when he risked his life, his his own reputation, he's building this massive boat. Everyone mocked him, but he was willing to risk his own reputation for the promises of God. And on and on and on we can go. And so the question we have to ask ourselves when it comes to our faith is this. Are we willing to lose it all in order to gain it all? Is your faith put into action or is your shame about what you believe and your fear about what will happen to you, about what you believe, hold you back from letting your faith be at work? In closing, I want to read this quote. One of the greatest theologians to ever live, John Calvin. John Calvin says this, and this is true for all of us. We must be reminded of this. Faith alone justifies. Our faith in Christ alone, that's what brings us justification. That's what brings us to salvation. But he adds this. Faith alone justifies. But the faith that justifies is never alone. Let say that one more time. Faith alone justifies you. But that faith that justifies you ought never be alone. It's got to be accompanied by our works. So my question to you this morning, my question to me, my question to us as a church this morning, is the proof of what we've been saved from and to shown in your works, the way Abraham... And this wicked prostitute demonstrated their faith. The proof is in the pudding, as they say. Is your faith at work? If you've been justified, you must. It must be accompanied by good works. Why? Because what Jesus said, that the way that we live, the way that we live out and we obey God's commands, the world will know that we belong to God. It's going to be demonstrated by our works that are seen in our faith. Do we believe that? This morning, let us pray.